The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning as we uh, come to God's Word and as we gather together. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, Welcome. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, it is good, good to be with you. And, and I just want to extend a, a special greeting to those who might be here for the first or second time. Maybe you're new, and um, maybe uh, you showed up here, and you didn't know a single soul. You never met anyone, and you're not really sure what this place is like or who you might find or, or whatever. You, you, you may have, have nothing, uh, no expectation in your mind. I, I want you to know that you are welcome here. We are glad that you are here, that whether this is your first time coming or your hundredth, uh, we are glad that you would uh, join us, and we're glad that you would be here because the truth is, is that uh, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time or you've been a member for many years or you've never joined a church, we are all in need of the same thing, and that is the grace of our Lord Jesus. We are in need of his mercy and his kindness, of his care and his love, and that is true of you, it is true of me, and so we're glad that you're here. Um, and this morning, we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Matthew, looking at Jesus' kingdom parables. That's what we're doing this, uh, this fall. We are looking at Jesus' kingdom parables. And we're going to look this morning in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 13. And just by a side note, um, as I look out and I see the, the sanctuary very, very full this uh, service, uh, just a reminder, we do have an 830 service as well. And so... Uh, uh, it, uh, it's not quite as full, um, but, um, you know, if you're up and, you know, you'd like to come and maybe have more, uh, more space, uh, there is room at that service. But, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so Matthew 13, we're looking at Jesus's kingdom parables, and this is the second of his kingdom parables. Last week, you'll remember, we heard the parable of the sower, how a sower went out and he cast seed among different soils and there were four soils but really there were only two responses right there was a rejecting of the seed the rejecting of the gospel or a receiving of the seed a receiving of the gospel and those uh, two responses were reflected in those soils right the first three of a hardened heart a difficulty arising in the person's life or the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world that's what caused them to reject the truth but the fourth soil was the receiving of the gospel and the reception into God's kingdom because God had cultivated a heart to receive it and to bring forth fruit. And so Jesus began his kingdom parables with an agricultural metaphor, and he continues that this morning. In fact, Jesus uses agricultural metaphors quite a lot. But this morning we have another one. This time it's not of soil and seed. This time it is of wheat and weed. And so let's go ahead and read Matthew 13. We'll begin in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds, excuse me, sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, 
An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now skip down to verse 36 where Jesus explains the parable. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. But as the, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace." In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we ask as we come to your word that you would make us people who hear. Give us ears to hear, Father, for apart from you enabling us to hear your word, to see your truth, to embrace your goodness, uh, we would not do any of those things. Apart from you, we would remain blind and hard-hearted, and our ears would remain clogged. And so we ask that you would help us. Help us this morning so we would see the beauty of your word and help us all of our days to worship and honor you with our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So pretty much all of you, if you know me, you know that my family is in Canada, that's where I grew up, and all of my family still remains there, but, but a number of years ago, my younger brother and his family lived in Baltimore. My brother was uh, an intern, he's an Anglican priest in Canada, but he was interning at a church in Baltimore, and this was the closest that his family had ever lived to me since I went off to college, and so before they moved back to Canada, to the great white north, uh, he and his family came and visited us in Roanoke. And we spent the weekend together, and it was wonderful. We went and saw the star, and we walked around downtown, and we had great conversations, and we talked to him about what the future might hold, and because we knew he was going to Canada, and we didn't know when he would return. We had this wonderful time, and on the last morning that we were together, I wanted to send them off in style, right? One last breakfast, one last time of having great conversation before they go off, because who knows when we would see them again. And so in our family, great breakfast equals pancakes. And so this morning, on this morning, I decided I wasn't just going to use pancakes from the box. That's what we do on normal occasions. No, this morning, because it was my brother and we were sending him off, I was going to make pancakes from scratch. And so I got up early and I poured, you know, got the pot of coffee ready and I set the table and I got the griddle hot and I whipped up the batter and, and they started to cook. And when they were done, they looked beautiful, and they smelled delicious. And I knew this was a wonderful recipe. I had used it before. I had tasted it before. And, and so the kids, they gathered around the table. They sat, and we put the pancakes before them, and we dished them all out. And I couldn't wait to see their faces of joy when they bit into them. And I couldn't wait to hear them say, mmm, Dad, make these all the time. 
And I remember Cole was the first one to take a bite. And I watched his face. And as he put the pancake in his mouth, instead of seeing a face full of joy, I saw a face scrunch up with disgust. And he said, ew, gross, I am not eating these. Now I have to tell you, I was very annoyed. (laughs) And I was very frustrated because as, uh, as he ate these, I knew that that couldn't be true. I had had these pancakes before, and ew is not the right response to these pancakes. They were delicious and good, and they looked delicious, and they smelled good. And so I was annoyed because this is just a kid being a kid, and because it didn't come out of the box, and he's not used to it, and blah, blah, blah. They are good. And then I took a bite, and they were disgusting. They were ew. (laughs) You see, somehow, inadvertently, as I was making these pancakes from scratch, I switched up the recipe and the measurements. And instead of putting the right amount of sugar, I put the amount of salt that should have been sugar. And so I apologized and said, I'm sorry. That though these look good and they smelled beautiful, they did taste disgusting. And we got out the box of pancakes and mixed them up and (laughs) everything was good. But the thing was, was that I had no idea looking at them or smelling them that they would taste so bad. In fact, from everything that I had seen and everything that I had known and everything that I expected, they should have been delicious and wonderful. Amidst the good was something very, very bad. And we know what this feels like, don't we? I mean, pancakes, I mean, that's really kind of trite in the grand scheme of things. But we know what this feels like. We experience this all the time, the good and the bad right beside each other, right? We experience this in our daily lives, a vacation that's canceled at the last minute because of COVID, a celebration that's marred because of an argumentative guest, a delicious meal with the hope of conversation and love mired by a horrible dish. Good and bad often side by side. Good and bad, sometimes actually indistinguishable at first from one another. I have a friend who likes to say it's the glory and the garbage. They're always next to each other. And we know what this is like, don't we? The counterfeit and the real, the false and the true, the bad and the good, they are often right beside each other. And that's what Jesus is telling us in this parable. You see, Jesus in this parable is helping us to see both the good and the bad and how the good and the bad are often right next to each other. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed, but as the seed grew, so did the weeds. Strong and healthy wheat wasn't all that was growing in the field. No, there was something else. There were weeds growing up amongst it. There was bad amidst the good. Now, that Greek word for weed there, it is a specific kind of weed. It's called darnel. And this kind of weed, it actually looks like wheat. Initially, as it begins to grow, it would have looked to the casual observer that the field was full of good wheat, of good grain. It wouldn't be until many days, weeks, or maybe even months after growth had taken place when the fruit started to appear that they would have recognized that this was not good wheat, but it was bad weed. 
So where did these weeds come from? Well, Jesus tells us the parable, in this parable, that the problem isn't with the wheat or the seed or the sower or the soil. The weeds are the result of the evil one. That's what he says in verse 38. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Okay, so what is Jesus telling us here? Well, he's telling us that the devil, the evil one, is real. That, that he is at work in our world, right? And this is important for us to acknowledge, for us to recognize, because I think sometimes in the church we fall off on two extremes. We fall off on the one extreme that makes, uh, makes everything about the devil, right? The devil's behind every corner. The devil's in every single action. The devil made me do it, right? But then there's the other side, and I think this is probably where probably most of us wrestle or struggle with, and that's actually making too little of the devil and his actions. That we live as though this world is all that we see and all that we experience, but in reality, what the Bible tells us is that there is a world that is unseen. That there is a spiritual battle occurring in the world around us. I mean, Peter actually said that the devil is like a roaring lion ready to pounce, looking for someone to devour. That he's a real thing in this world. That the devil is at work. And his ways are to use treachery and deception and confusion to poison the good. That's what Jesus is telling us, right? That that this field that is filled, Jesus said, is the world. That's what he said the field is, as he describes it. The field is the world, and, and this field has been filled not only with good wheat, but also bad weed that has disguised itself as good. And this is what the devil does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And so we hear Jesus telling us that in the midst of the good growth of the kingdom, there are poisonous weeds. And it's not just the world that exists kind of outside our midst, but it's the entire world. Even perhaps in our midst. The Westminster Confession of Faith tells us that the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. And when they make this statement, the proof text they use to defend this claim is this parable. And this is in line with what we heard last week, isn't it? Two of those soils that rejected the gospel, that rejected God's good seed, they looked healthy and vibrant for a time. But it was eventually, it was over time that it was revealed that they were not good grain. And it was because they had bad soil. But here it's not good grain because it's bad seed. And so what we're being told, what Jesus is inviting us to see is that in this world, we will have both good grain and bad weeds. Okay, so what are we to do with this then? If this is the reality that Jesus is telling us that we live in, and this is the, the world that we inhabit, what are we to do with this? Like, what, do we would, what would we expect Jesus to do about it? Well, if you're like me and you find weeds in your yard or your garden, you drive down to Home Depot, you pick up a thing of uh, Roundup, and you kill those things, right? 
I mean, you want to get rid of them as soon as possible. Or you get a shovel and you dig those suckers out and you throw them right away. You try and uproot them and get rid of them immediately. That's what the servants thought that they should do, right? In verse 28, they say, do you want us to go and gather them? And how does Jesus respond? No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Wait. That as we see the good and the bad, he's telling us to wait in the present. Now that's surprising, isn't it? Because we would expect Jesus to say, no, 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 it's time to go to the mattresses. Right? No, 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 grab your rakes, take up your arms, tap away at your keyboards, cry out against evil. That's what we would expect, right? And we would expect that because we know that the kingdom of God is opposed to evil. And we know that the kingdom of God is for righteousness and truth and beauty. And so how is it that he can delay? How is it that he can say to us, wait? We know some have interpreted this and applied this by saying that that this is the reason for pacifism that the christian response in the face of evil is to be a pacifist that's how some have responded to this now i don't think that that's actually the right application here i think there are times where we we uh we are to uh to um seek the good of those who desire evil, that, that we are not to return evil for evil. I, I think that there are times where we are called to turn the other cheek, but I don't think this is a universal principle for all occasions. No, I don't think that that's what Jesus is calling us to. And the reason why is because we know from other places in Scripture that God's people are called to call sin, sin, and injustice, injustice, and that the kingdom of God is to stand against evil and wickedness. Now, I don't think Jesus is inviting us to pacifism. Instead, what I think he's inviting us to see is that in this world, evil will be with us. And that we will not be able to get rid of it ourselves. I think what this is inviting us to see is not some resign, throwing our hands up and saying, woe is us. Instead, it's recognizing that evil, as it grows up alongside the good, that we need to look to the one who can actually do something about the evil and who can deal with it not just in a momentary sense but in an ultimate sense. I think that's why Jesus says wait because in waiting we are looking to the one who can actually do something about it. In verse 30, Jesus says, let both grow together until the harvest And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. And then he interprets it for us in verse 39. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. You see, Jesus is telling us to wait in the present by looking to the harvest. By looking to the harvest. Now, do you all know people who read the last chapter of a book before they read the whole book? 
Maybe some of you are those kind of people. I'm not one of those people. Um, I don't like doing that. I, I want to read from the beginning to the end, and if in the end I'm surprised, wonderful. That's beautiful. But I know that that's not all people, and that's okay. Uh, I, don't, I can't find a biblical mandate for my position, but, uh, but regardless. But some people like to read the very last chapter of the book because in reading the last chapter, they know if the book is worth reading. Is the book going to end in a way that's satisfying? Is it going to tie up loose ends? Is it, is it going to be worth reading? Knowing the end tells us what to expect. And though I don't like doing that in my reading of books, I'm thankful that Jesus does this now. Because that's what he's doing. He's telling us the end so that we can know that the wait is worth it. You see, in our world, it's easy for us to wring our hands with worry and to fret over the bad and to wonder, why doesn't God do something about this? And we've wondered that, haven't we? I mean, I have. I'm sure you have. The psalmist does when he cries out, How long, O Lord? And what Jesus tells us is that God is not idle. That God is not deaf to our crying out, How long, O Lord? That God is not blind to the evil in this world. That God is doing something against evil. And he's doing it in his time. We know this because we've seen it already begin. Because in Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons at the right time, when the fullness of time had come. I mean, think about that. All the waiting of the Old Testament, all the waiting of the intertestamental period, it had finally come to an end because at just the right time, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And in sending forth his son by his life and death and resurrection, he was making war against evil. And he was making war against death and hell and the grave. And he was victorious. And he was victorious even over our sin. That the waiting had been worth it. But we're still waiting, aren't we? Because though the kingdom has been inaugurated, we know it has not been consummated. We are awaiting that final vanquishing of evil. We are waiting for the harvest. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. You see, what Peter is telling us is that the promise of the harvest is true, that it is coming, that we don't know when it will come, right? Like a thief. We don't know when a thief arrives. If, if he was coming, we'd be prepared. And he's telling us that Jesus will return like a thief. We don't know when he will return, but he will. And when he does, all the works that have been done will be exposed, and the wheat and the weeds will be separated. The weeds will be cast into judgment, and the wheat will dwell with God forever. So as we look to the harvest, how do we respond? As we wait for the day of harvest... How do we live? What is our response to this? Well, I think there are three things. 
I think there are three responses to, to this harvest that is coming. And the first is examination. That while we wait, we should examine our own hearts. That while we look for the harvest, we should examine our lives. I mean, this is what Paul encouraged the Corinthians to do when he said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now think about what Paul's saying. That is to a church. That is to people that he knew, to, to people who had professed faith, who had walked with the Lord, whom he had written to. And he says, examine your lives. Examine your lives to see whether you are in the faith. And so we must examine our own lives, our words and our actions, those things that we have done before others and those things we have done in secret. We need to examine ourselves to ensure we are keeping in step with Christ. See, the response as we wait for the harvest is examination, but then it's repentance. It's repentance. You see, Jesus is telling us that judgment is real. It is real. That the evildoers and the wicked, they shall one day experience a judgment that is far greater than any man or woman or, or any power of this earth could ever dish out. God is not ignoring evil and wickedness. He's going to deal with it in his time, and so that should cause us to repent today. Today, not tomorrow. I know people who, who have said to me, well, when I have kids, then I'll get serious about, about my faith. You know, when, when I get married, then I'll start coming back to church. You know, when I'm done with grad school, then, then I'll really consider the claims of Jesus. I've got all these other things that I need to work on and I need to think about and I need to get my life in order before I can ever think about these things of eternity. But friends, do not wait. Do not wait. We do not know when the harvest will come. Like a thief who comes unaware of the inhabitants of the home, Jesus will return. He will return. And so as we wait, do not wait to repent. Today, turn to him. Today, find grace and mercy. Today, find forgiveness for your sins. We are to examine our lives. We are to repent. And this should cause us to trust. To trust, to have confidence that God one, will one day return. That Christ will return. And when that fullness of time comes, he will bring righteous judgment against evil. And for those who are trusting in Christ, who are sons and daughters of the king, that that harvest will bring an eternal dwelling in the kingdom of our Father. I mean, that is the beauty of his harvest. That the evil and the wickedness, they will be no more, and we will dwell with him for all eternity. That the evil and wickedness in our hearts, that the sin that still clings, that the sin that we are fighting against and we are needing to repent of, they will be no more because we will dwell with him. Do you believe that that is coming? We trust him today that it is coming. That he will return. And that evil and wickedness will be no more because we will dwell in the kingdom of our Father. You see, friends, we are to trust him, knowing that though good and evil will dwell in this world, trust him, knowing that though we wait, that the waiting is not in vain. That Christ has come, and he's coming again, and when he does, there will be a glorious harvest. That for some there will be judgment, but for others, the righteous 
shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That is what awaits us. And so let us wait, trusting him, looking to that harvest. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you have not left this world to itself, but that you sent your Son in the fullness of time. You have given your Spirit to lead us into truth, and you are sending your Son again. And in his return, we know that we will dwell with you forever, free of sin, free of animosity, free from disease and sickness. Father, we will dwell with you like the sun, we will dwell with you in righteousness. And so we long for that day, and we ask, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly and make all things new. Come quickly and do away with evil and bring us into your kingdom. We pray that you would do this, and until you do, we ask that you would help us to wait, looking forward to that great harvest, that you would make us people who examine our lives and turn in repentance and trust in you, our God and our King. And it's in your name that we pray. And God's people said together, Amen.